Nigga, sorry, you should know They can't, you can never be alone Nigga, sorry, you should know You sound so fully lit, psycho I'm trying to side piece to another piece Welcome and you are listening to another episode of keepthechange.co.nz's Money Mail. We are nearly approaching the third straight year of pumping out content every single Friday. So I'm glad that you're here listening, reading, however you're choosing to consume. The podcast continues to grow. We had 14,600 and something listeners in February and February is a shorter month than January. Now, that was slightly higher than January, so we're trending in the right direction, which is good to see, and part of the reason we're able to do that is because of people like you who stopped to take five seconds to leave a five-star review, so if you've done that, thank you. This is, from what I can see, the most rated podcast in New Zealand. I cannot find one that has more ratings than Keep the Change. Now, that is because of your generosity of your time to go and do that, so I thank you for that, and if you haven't, let's keep that trend going. Let's keep this the most rated podcast in New Zealand. This is on Spotify. Uh, just find on Spotify if you're listening, the rate this when you go back to the main part of the Keep the Change podcast and click on five stars, and that will contribute to that. So if you're just tuning in for maybe recently, one of the first few pods for you, there is a back catalogue of content for you to listen to to encourage you to increase your understanding of financial literacy, money, the economy, and all things going on in finance, in the finance world, there are a number of podcasts that can help you improve your education. So rip in and learn something, and that's exactly what we're going to do with this week's episode because we're talking about Pi Funds, and I brought a Pi Fund recently. I made an Instagram reel about this. You may have seen that if you've been on Instagram. Uh, if not, go and check out that I've made one where I'm just recording my computer screen talking about term deposits and then tax rates and things, but I'll also make a reel about Pi funds specifically. Uh, but this email from the Money Mail lesson is exactly sort of why I did that, and I'll go into a bit more detail. And I'll uh, yeah share a couple of things throughout this as well that I don't write about. So this week, I brought a Pi fund. Recently, I brought a Pi fund, and I'm not talking about steak and cheese ones. I had a bit of spare cash sitting in a bank account and I wanted to lock it in for a term. So I wanted to make my money work for me and I'm always looking for ways for my money to have babies and help subsidize my life slash costs. Now what that means is that I'm, with the cash that I have left over that I save, I'm trying to figure out how can I get a return on this so that it can help subsidize my bills, my entertainment and mostly my rent because that's how I look at it, right? So when I grew up, and you would have heard this too, people say, why would you pay someone else? else's mortgage. Fuck paying someone else's mortgage. You know, that's why you don't want to rent because you're just paying someone else's mortgage and that's a waste. So what I've done is kind of gone, okay, how could I make sense of, how could I make sense of not making sense of that? So what that means to me is, is there another way that I don't need to pay my rent? Now, of course, we all go to work and our employers pay our rent if we're employed or they pay your mortgage, but you, you think you're paying it yourself, right? But realistically, that money's coming from somewhere. That's just how we get taught that, that we're the ones spending our money on that, which is still still right. But then for me, like I'm in business, so I look at it as, okay, then I get paid by my business, but my business gets paid by my customers, and they get paid by their customers, and I just keep going back 
through the layers. So that helps me start with to, to start with to think, well, really, I'm not paying my rent nor paying my mortgage, my interest. Like someone else is providing that for me. You've got to be able to provide value to somebody else before they'll give you money, i.e. a transaction, for you to then transact with the bank or your landlord. Now, as I've saved more money, I've started to see dividends coming in when I was buying shares, for instance, and I thought, wow, you know, that's effectively paying some of my rent. And that's a portion of my rent that I'm not actually paying for. It is paid for by, now not by myself or my employer, it is paid for by a company that is making money and then paying a dividend and then paying it on to the shareholders, i.e. me, which is then helping subsidise my living costs, i.e. my rent. So I started thinking, well, if you could just save heaps of money, like let's say you won lotto, right? And you won 20 milli. Would you buy the million or 700,000 or $600,000 house that you're aspiring to at the moment? No, like your goals would change. But then just say if someone said to you, well, look, you've got 20 million there, we can probably get you a 5% return every year in cash flow paid to you. That's a million dollars of income. Probably at a 0.01% income level in this country. Pay your tax on it. Let's say you're left with $700,000 a year. Would you still go and buy the $600,000, $700,000 house, million dollar house? Probably not, right? Again, your goals and aspirations would have changed. And you'd probably look at it and go, well, I've got 700 Gs coming in from that after tax. Well, then maybe, just maybe, I will rent an epic place that's 10 times bigger than what your current ceiling of aspiration is at the moment and if you spent 200 grand on rent in this country a year you'd still be left with your 500 grand let's say you tried to spend 300 grand on rent it would be unbelievable where you'd be living but would you be paying your rent or would the investments be paying your rent so that's where my thinking goes to with that. And it's very hard to try and articulate that in one of these written lessons, right? Because I've just had to try and explain that for four minutes. And some of you are probably like, fuck mate, you've still lost me, you've got a bit on. But in here I've just said, this helps subsidise my life slash my costs. Now that's all I've basically said because I can't then go into exactly what I mean by that. So this is the benefit of listening to these podcasts, of course. But Maybe you want to listen and read to sort of get more uh, broader detail around some of these things of the way that I'm looking at it. And I'm not right or wrong, right? This is like how I'm playing the game and trying to think differently to some of the things that I learned as I was going. So for me, I don't have $20 million. I haven't won $20 million, so I can't do that. But I start to calculate, well, if I had a million dollars, let's say, and I got a 10% return or like they say 10%, so hundred grand and then pay tax on it, it'll be left with 70000 per year to spend on rent. Cool, what could you rent for that? Oh, you can't get a 10% return, that doesn't happen. Oh, okay, right, let's go 5% then, let's cut it in half. Okay, 5%, so all of a sudden, $50,000. Pay some tax on that, might be left with thirty. There's $30,000 to subsidise your rent. And all of a sudden, you can start to make sense of, not making sense of, why would you pay a landlord? Why would you pay someone else's rent? You know, I think that's just a, Thing that's been given to a lot of people and we've gone, yeah, I need to quickly get onto the property ladder. And naturally, we've seen house prices continue to increase for 40 years. But now we're getting to a place where interest rates are increasing and we're kind of coming down the other way. How long that will last for, I don't know. I'd imagine housing will start to increase again. So I get what people are saying and I get that most people would never think big enough to go like, how could I try and stack a million dollars? How long is that going to take me? It's very easy to get onto, well, I shouldn't say it's easy, but 
previously, it's been quite easy to get into the housing market, right? So people will rush to do that because then they're like, oh, you're using the bank's money and you don't want to pay a landlord, that's a waste and all those sorts of things. And of course, it's hard to save when you're paying rent too. But as I'm always teaching with some of these things, it's about thinking differently and trying to think how could you increase your income? How can you change the vehicle you're in to get closer to the goals that you actually have, not just accept society's teachings of why would you pay someone else's mortgage, for instance, i.e. paying rent. Let's get back into it. So with some of this cash that I had sitting there, I considered a term deposit where I deposit my money for a set term and in return get given a percentage for doing so. So a term deposit, what that says is, right, it's basically like a savings account, but for a term. Let's say I use $10,000 just to keep it easy. We say, look, I'll give you bank A, I'll give you $10,000 for one year and you're going to give me a 6% return on that at the end of that term, or maybe they'll pay it monthly, but of course, it's, well, we'll get to that, but it's going to get taxed as well. Uh, but that's basically the contract that I have with them. I'll lend you my $10,000 in return. You're going to give me a, uh, a 6% return on that. So 600 bucks over the course of that year, and they might pay it monthly or whatever you decide. But basically, there's a set term, and if you break that term, you may not get that cash back. Now, this percentage is a form of income for me and you, and naturally, it ends up being taxed, right? So that 6% is then going to be taxed, and it'll get taxed at your marginal tax rate. Now, what that means is the tax rate that you fall into because of your total income. So for a lot of Kiwis that are looking to earn interest on their savings, they'll be paying 30% of their income, or if their income is above $48,000. 33% on this interest will be paid as tax if the income is above 70000 and 39% if the income is above 180000 Now, this is because that's where our tax rates kick in, right? So if you earn above $48,000 in New Zealand, say you earn $50,000, you'll be getting taxed at 30% for anything over $48,000, so for that $2,000. And then if you inherit some money or you've saved some and you've got it in an interest-bearing account, you've got to pay 30% tax on that because it's interest. So your marginal tax rate for that income is 30%. So you're going to lose nearly a third of it. Same thing if you earn over $70,000, it'll be at 33%. If you earn over 180k, which 2 or 3% of you will be, you'll be getting taxed at 39%. Now this got me thinking about the old pie fund as a type of investment. What the hell is a pie, you ask? Well, it's a portfolio investment entity. And that sounds pretty technical, right? The key thing for you to understand about this is it is seen by the tax authorities as a little different to a standard investment. You may have heard of pie funds before because there is a high chance you already have one, your KiwiSaver. Pies were created in October 2007, 2007 following the introduction of KiwiSaver. You may have even seen your pie income in your MyIR summary as your pie income information is provided to the IRD and will automatically be included in your income summary in MyIR. Now I went into my MyIR to see this and try and use it on Instagram as an example, But it wasn't showing up, which is weird, but I've definitely seen it in there and then on tax returns when I've been doing it for clients where it's coming up with basically their pie income and that's from their KiwiSaver. Now, most of that doesn't need to be adjusted or calculated because it will be at the the correct level of tax and um, the IRD already have that information from your KiwiSaver provider. Now, whoever's paying you this pie income will usually declare that information to the IRD for you. So you'll probably see it popping up in your MyIR if you check it out in there. But back to this pie piece, right? It's it's a bit different to a term deposit. So a term deposit is seen as an investment on its own. So I'm investing with 
Westpac, it's an investment type, a term deposit, and in return they pay me interest and it's going to get taxed at my marginal rate. Now with a pie fund, it's a bit different. What it means is that I invest into the pie fund and Westpac say, well, for doing that, we're going to pay you a rate, which is the same, effectively the same thing as a term deposit. So we're going to pay you a percentage and the tax is going to be a little bit different. And that's where we'll get into why and help you understand that. So it's not just KiwiSaver offered as pie funds. There are many, and the banks have them too. This is where I read these things, and I've proofread this probably twice or three times. I did actually write this one quite late in the week, and these are the ones that I always make mistakes, and I've got there, T-H-E-I-R, rather than T-H-E-R-E. But anyway, that's what the brain sees post. But don't be, made, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Like This is a good teaching of this too. Like who, who fucking cares? Just get on with it, right? But some English... Uh, fanatic will be out there. I've had emails before like, oh, you really should spell check these or whatever. If I was that pedantic, I would never put any content out because I would be too scared of those people. So action beats perfection every time. Perfectionists seldom win when you compare them to those who take action and execute. So remember that and tuck it up your sleeve. A bank's term pie fund may look the same thing as a term deposit, but it's different mainly in the way that it is taxed. A term pie fund is effectively a term deposit wrapped in fancy wrapping called a pie fund. Well, what's the exciting part, I hear you ask? Tax. You're kidding me, mate. Fucking tax is not excited. Okay, yes, but hear me out. With a pie, the tax rate on your returns is capped at a maximum of 28%. So remember above, if you earn over $48,000 in income during the year, your additional interest will be taxed at 30%. If you earn over $70,000, that interest is going to be taxed at 33%. Over 180000 that interest will be taxed at 39%. Now, if you're investing in a term pie fund instead, your investment returns are taxed at your prescribed investor rate, more jargon for you, which is up to the cap of 28%. So this pie fund is taxed differently to an individual, and that is the most that it can be taxed at when you earn income through that. So although the income will get passed to you, you yourself don't pay your marginal tax rate anymore. You'll get capped at the 28. And why this is specifically important is because our, our tax rates haven't been adjusted since 2010, as you've learned about recently. So a lot of people that even earn over $48,000 that are trying to save some money or that have inherited some money, etc., they're going to be getting taxed at 30% on the interest that they are earning on that and paying that over to the old government. But if it's through a pie fund, there's a high chance that it will be capped at 28% and they would be saving 2% in tax. Now, someone earning over $180,000 in income will now have their interest income from the pie fund taxed at 28% max, meaning they are saving themselves 11% in tax. Someone earning over $70,000 will save 5% in tax. This makes the effective return of the pie fund investment even higher as the tax rate is lower. So your real return increases when compared to a term deposit. Hopefully that makes sense for you. But what I mean by your effective return is higher is that if you compare a pie fund to a term deposit and you're earning over $180,000, which I am, so this is why I was looking at that, and in here I don't want to be like, oh, you know, so this is really applicable for me because you worry about the tall poppy thing, right? Which you shouldn't even be something that you think about, but I want to make these relatable all the time. So I'm always thinking about how the reader is consuming it rather than just me. But I'm happy to tell you guys that I earn over 180k. So this is so any interest that I make will be taxed at 39%. So all of a sudden, my six percent, for instance, 
40% of that effectively, 39%, is gone to tax. And I'm left with the other 60. So PI funds are going to be capped at 28%. So I'm going to save myself 11% in tax. And therefore, my effective rate is a lot higher in a PI fund that's going to pay me interest compared to a term deposit. And that's why the banks have put these term PI funds together for people to be able to uh, utilise them. I was going to say take advantage, but it's not really taking advantage. It's basically to use them for the purpose of which they were set up, and that is to cap out the tax at 28%. So the effective rate for me is actually a lot higher. Now, where this gets interesting is that previously, to get returns, I've always liked investing into stocks that pay a good dividend. And sometimes the value of that share will fluctuate, and that mind fucks you a little bit because you are looking at it going, well, geez, I'm potentially, like my money is going backwards, uh, but I'm getting a good return, and that was the intention that I put it in there for to start with. So then we ignore the fact that it's going up and down in value and just look at what the return is, because I'm trying to invest in things that are going to pay me money, i.e. get my money making babies to help subsidize my rent as we go back to the very start of this, right? But if... I put money into a, uh, a company and I get a dividend, those dividends are still going to need to be taxed eventually at 39%. So a dividend could be higher, but by the time I lose 39% of that to tax, the now term deposits and pie funds, or more so pie funds, are looking more appealing to me because the effective tax rate is better for me because I'm not going to lose 39% of it to tax, I'm going to lose 28% of it. Now that 11% compounded over time is obviously major. Now also, I'm recording this as of March 2023. I could just about guarantee that in March 2024, this conversation will be different because in the election of 2023, I would imagine these tax rates are going to change. So I may have to do an updated version of this. But just be mindful of this if you are listening any later than the election of 2023, because I do think tax rates will change. And so a lot of this information will then need to be updated as such. But this is why you need to sort of stay on top of things that you're investing in and learn a whole separate set of skills that you don't need to learn when you are in the, in the stage one cleanup of I just got to get on top of my buy now, pay later, get rid of my credit card, all of those sorts of things. And this is why your learning is never done with financial literacy because whatever stage of your journey you get to, there's always something new that you can be learning to figure out, right, what is the what is a smart thing to do with the situation that I'm in to help me get to where I want to go? Now, if I'm giving up 11% of the things that uh, I'm earning, dividends, interest and whatnot, that I don't need to be, that seems a little bit silly, right? Given that I can play within the rules and be taxed at 28%. So that is why I, I put some money into a term PI fund. But in summary, a term PI fund may be a tax efficient alternative to a term deposit. This is exactly why I chose this investment product over a standard term deposit. Of course, I have now tied my money up for, and for what I did is I actually set some up for, I did a few of them. So I did one for like seven months, six months, five months, and then four months, I think, or might even be eight. So I've got them rolling off month to month. And what I thought is whilst these interest rates are up where they are, and whilst I'm in that 39% tax bracket, which I'll probably continue to be, and I'd say I probably uh, get taxed higher than that going forward if they change the tax rates too, that I want to have these term deposits through PIE funds rolling off every month so that I'm getting some money coming in, but I am, I've still got access to the money coming back at me 
month on month on month, right? And then I can decide when I get to those months, what do I do? Do I reinvest it to keep it rolling month to month? But I'm not tying up the whole thing for six months. I'm splitting them over months. So I'm kind of layering in as such. So I know that each month, one of those is going to what they call mature and that money's going to come back to me or I'll get a choice to invest it for, uh, for another period. But that means that I'm not going to be able to get my money back until after those six months have passed. Now, the reason that I say that and explain that is because I've been sitting on some cash just seeing what happens with the markets and I thought I may end up buying some more stocks or do I want to hold on to cash? Cash has previously been trash if I go back a couple of years ago because the rate of return on it's been so low. Inflation's here so you've wanted to be in some form of market like a share market to be um, you know, trying to beat inflation by it going up but now we're in a period where interest rates are higher, the share market's coming back, property's coming back so my money, although I'm losing some of the purchasing power to inflation, I'm still moving forward compared to the value of a house, for instance, because the house is coming back in value, say, 20% over a year, and I think for this year, 2023, even further. So then my money that I have in the bank can earn or can buy more of, say, a property or a stock, et cetera, if that's what I choose to do. But that's why I've been sitting on some cash, but at the same time, now that the rates are high, I want to make something from it and get it to have babies. So of course, there is the ugly thing called inflation where even after I pay my 28% tax on the interest, my money isn't holding value as inflation is eroding it. So just as I've said, well, look, it's not it's not holding value. So what that means is that each time inflation stays high, and it, it is and probably will continue to for a while, even when you get a 5%, let's say 5% um, return on your investment and you lose 28% tax, that's effectively like one point three five percent or something like that you're left with three and a half percent let's say and inflation is seven percent so at the end of the year that money can't buy you as much as it could at the start of the year because inflation is decreasing your purchasing power because things have got more expensive in that time but it depends what you're pricing things in right and for me for instance rent is one of my largest costs for me but I've been able to fix my rent cost over the last few years because the rate hasn't increased, it's come back or it's stayed the same. So my money is effectively paying for the same amount of rent and the money's then having babies and then decreasing the value of that rent. And the same if I went to potentially buy a property at the end of this year with that cash, I'd probably get more house than I would right now if house prices keep coming back. So that's there's sort of two parts to that. Yes, inflation's still eroding my purchasing power for like day-to-day items and petrol and all the things that are in the consumer price index cost of living basket or whatever, however they calculate it to work out what inflation is. But if you measure it against rent, which is staying the same for me, but it could increase, uh, or purchasing a property or even like buying shares, my money at the end of the year, even after copping a bit of a hiding from inflation is still probably going to be able to buy more of those. Of course, the market could turn around and go the other way, and I could be wrong. But that's where I'm sort of where I'm positioning myself, if that uh, makes sense. So I know you understand a lot of this through the things that we've already spoken about, and from various podcasts about inflation and things like that as well. But I'm happy to tie up some of my cash for a period of the year, knowing that I'm getting a decent return on it, I'm going to get capped at 28% tax, I can still get it rolling off month to month, I can make some decisions, I know if I desperately need that money uh, that I could cancel it if I want to as well, 
and that may mean that I'll forfeit the interest on that um, money as well because often if you try and take your money out of a term deposit early or a term pie fund, the bank will say, well, look, we want to know why you want this and so you almost have to apply for it in some cases but then they'll usually say, great, we're not going to pay you your interest unless there's sort of some circumstances in which they allow that for. But I've got other cash that's sitting there in terms of emergency, for instance, as well. So I'm not tying everything up and giving myself no access. And now I'm into a stress position of like, fuck, I hope nothing goes wrong because I don't have access to any cash. This isn't, I'm not talking about investing my um, emergency fund, for instance, that I need access to should something happen that I need to use it for. I'm talking about investing my excess cash that I don't want to be putting into the stock market, etc. So the banks uh, do have a minimum deposit amount as well. And if I'm lending it to the bank for six months and... They in turn, they give me an an interest payment for that. They're going to want to basically put a term in place where it's set for that, but also say, well, we want a minimum from you. And it might be 5,000, 10,000, 1,000. You have to check what the the banks are are asking for because they're all a little bit different. And I noticed myself that Westpac, they, uh, they wanted you to go in there and set one up, but I've heard that that's actually not too hard but I just couldn't be bothered doing that so I transferred mine from Westpac to ANZ and did it all online through ANZ but they have a minimum investment I think of $10,000 which is quite high. I think Westpac might have been lower but I don't know who you bank with but maybe look into that if it's something that you want to do. Now when purchasing my pie fund it asked me for my prescribed investor rate which is 28% as I earn above $48,000. So for most of us that would be correct. Like if you earn above $48,000, you're going to be paying 30% tax on anything above $48,000. So you're you're going to then get um, hit with the highest prescribed investor rate, probably the same for your KiwiSaver income as well at 28%. So I was ticking that box. And you need to be thinking about this too when you're investing in sharesies or with the bank to earn interest in just your savings accounts and just check in your profile or settings what your tax rate is set to because otherwise it will default to the highest or you may be at a rate that's too low compared to what you earn now and when the bank or sharesies etc give that information to the IRD when they calculate your tax return at the end of the year you may have tax to pay because you've been undertaxed on your dividends or your interest that you've earned throughout the year. So make sure that you go into sharesies or Hatch or whatever you're using, uh, even your internet banking and just check the settings and see what is your tax rate set to and it should be set to the marginal tax rate that you sit in. So if you earn above $48,000 you want it to be 30%, if you earn above $70,000 you want it to be 33%, if you earn above $180,000 you want it to be 39%. But with a pie fund it's capped at 28% and that's your prescribed investor rate so you'd be taking 28% if you're above $48,000. A little bit confusing but uh, hopefully you make sense of that. But the IRD will automatically calculate if you have over or underpaid at the end of the year normally as well. So that should give you a high level and simple overview of a pie fund and how you may be able to save some of your own tax. Because this is where people say like, oh, you know, all the rich people and whatnot, you know, they're, they're the ones that have all the fancy accountants and they, they know the best ways to save tax and they pay less tax than everyone. Well, if you don't have one, you're just going to whinge about that for the rest of your year, uh, your life, right? And most of the time, it's pretty hard to to dodge tax in this country anyway. So this isn't taking advantage of anything. This is literally just using the things that are put in place. And that's why I say, Luke, the people's account of the everyday person can learn from so that 
you can then understand some of these things that other people will be thinking about as well. Now, I do just want to say that with these Pi funds, these are cash Pi funds. And basically, I tried to, it was going to get too technical to try and explain this in writing, but some Pi funds will actually move in value. So you have to be, and you, you've got to sell out of the Pi fund at a, at a unit price and all these different things. And I'm sure there is always risk involved with every investment and there's a chance that you may not get your entire amount of money back. Now, from what I understand from what I read from ANZ, Westpac, Kiwi Bank, etc., with a cash Pi fund, it's different to that. They're not then investing into um, other things. What they're probably doing with this money is then lending it to someone else and getting a higher rate on that. So they're probably lending it to someone buying a house. So they take my $10,000 they pay me 5% interest, they lend it to Joe Bloggs down the street at 8% and they make 3% on it, right? So it's, quote, safe, but we know with every single investment, there is always a chance that you won't get your money back. Let's say Westpac goes under. It could be, sorry, Luke, we're not, into, we're not forced or obligated to pay you back because you had too much in here. I think we did guarantee savers like $50,000. I think that's moving to $100,000 if a bank was to collapse, like a, a government buy-in would come in where you would get, that's what you would get. So a lot of wealthy people will have multiple banks and different investment types to spread their risk and that's diversification to them. We think about it, you know, is buying different stocks and things to diversify. They're thinking, well, I don't want $20 million sitting in one bank account. What say that bank went under? You know, so they're starting to think, well, why don't I put money wider into different banks and things like that as well so hopefully you know we don't see something like that but I just want to point out that there are different types of pie funds and some of them are investment type funds that could be moving in value but what I'm talking about here is a straight cash pie fund that the banks are offering off of their very own websites. You are one of over 7,000 recipients of this and over 14,500 monthly listeners, 14,600 in February, as I told you at the start. Did you know unsecured personal loan arrears increased 9.2% from a year ago, the highest level since 2017? 430,000 Kiwis are behind on debt repayments. This is from Centrix January data. You know that February's gone as well. This information is only going to get worse. Now, we spoke about this in September last year. I started saying, hey, here's three things I want you to do before the end of the year to start getting ready because I knew that this was coming. And this is what this content is always designed to do is to keep you at least sort of six months ahead of what's happening in the market if possible. But back in September last year, everyone was singing the praises of buy now, pay later. And, you know, oh, no, what do you mean? Like, why? I use it and I've got my credit card and it's great. It gives me a little bit of comfort if something bad happens. I'm like, deep. Like learn to live without it, learn to decrease the, the limit because now that high interest rates are here, when these emergencies and things happen to us, that's what we default to. Oh, I'll just use my credit card or I'll just use my buy now, pay later. And now as the market starts to tighten up and things become more expensive, inflation's embedded and it's not transitory as we got told, it was just a flat out bullshit. It's very hard to repay these things. And now we're seeing that people are getting behind on just about every form of credit. Now, 430,000 Kiwis are behind on their debt repayments. And I just want to say that if that's you, I know what that's like too. I've been there. This content isn't to judge you. It's to try and help you. And first, you've got to want to be helped. And you shouldn't feel ashamed if you're behind on your debt. That literally, we're being sold debt and extra, and extra access to cash by very smart businesses and organizations that have very, very 
top of the line psychology tactics, etc., to get you taking it thinking that is a good idea. So don't feel like you shouldn't tell someone, hey, this is the situation I've got myself into. You want to put your hand up, much like I did to my family member, my brother, saying, mate, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. My credit card is now massive. And I found a way to slowly clear that and it took time. So do not feel embarrassed. Clearly, you're not the only one. 430,000 Kiwis are behind on some form of debt. The thing is, most of them will not put their hand up and say, I want some help. What could I do? What are my options? Most people, us proud Kiwis will go, I've got this. It's all good. Like, I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll sort it over the next few months. And then something else will come up. Bang. Tire pops in the car. Bang. Something happens to your, your teeth. You just don't know what's coming. And that's just going to compound it. And the, the, the thing is that if you haven't asked for help when you're in this first point, you're not going to ask for help when you get to the second point. And that's when you start to become dangerous because you're desperate. And you'll find another form of credit. You'll extend it. You will find a way to get through because that's what you've taught yourself, that you can get through. And that's what humans do. We're very good at adapting. But we get more and more into a hole and we think, I'll just tidy it up later on. But we never know what's coming. And this is the same for the government, for instance. Let's just spend, spend, spend. And then, shit, now we have a natural disaster. Ooh, do we have money tucked off to the side to do that? No, we don't. We literally do not have a rainy day account, but we say, oh, but we can borrow to pay for that. So they're not teaching you good tactics. Where are you going to learn these things from? And so you can see why so many Kiwis are behind in their debt payments as well. And maybe I'll do an entire money mail on this, but my key point for you is that don't feel ashamed and the, the longer you take it to put your hand up, the longer it's going to take you to actually sort it out. And there'll be people, whether it's your family, your friends, citizens, advice bureau, um, jump online, how to get on top of my debt, jump on sorted, Christians Against Poverty. There are amazing businesses out there and organizations that are ready to help people and they're waiting. They're literally waiting to, for these Kiwis to put their hand up and say, I just need a hand. I just need someone to show me a smart way to go about getting on top of this. And that's what they're trained to do. They have the education for you. But instead, we'll sit here and we'll just go, no, too scared. I don't want to do that. And in a month's time, I'll probably read out a statistic that says 437,000 Kiwis are now behind on their debt repayments and have to have the same spiel. So do something about it. If you find yourself being a statistic, you want to be a statistic going the other way. I'm one of the 14,000 people this month that got themselves onto a plan to get away from my debt, for instance. That's been good and smart about the situation that you've got yourself into. So no one's going to judge you, put your hand up, reach out for some help and see what you can do to get in control of that stuff because these numbers are only going to get worse, I believe, because we're just in a very interesting and challenging financial time. Please do not feel judged. But thank you, as always, for tuning in to keepthechange.co.nz Money Mail. As I said at the start, if you could please leave a five-star review, that would mean a lot. If this podcast has really spoken to you, chuck something on your social media as well. That would help this grow. That's how Keep the Change is growing at the moment. It's purely from word of mouth and content that's out there. So if you're enjoying it, please interact with it. Leave a comment, like, send it on to someone. That would mean a lot to me. Thanks a lot. See you next week. I'm glad I shouldn't even matter. See
Gassing up on lean and clippers. Lap 